The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon. It's a podcast. We, uh, we we review TV shows that lasted one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I was going to do my Crypt Keeper, but I decided against it. No, it's fine. Right. This is it. We're, we're, we're cutting it onto the wire. We were going to do a four-episode Cancel Too Soon mm. uh, uh, special called Scary Toba for October, and we... Almost missed the last episode, but by God, <laughs> we got to it. By God, it's not this, as of this recording. At the very least, that's not Halloween yet. So. Yes, if it comes out Halloween morning, I feel good. I feel special. I feel pretty. Uh, it has been a really chaotic month, as you may have heard in our last couple of other podcasts. Uh, I have moved. Uh, this, and this is an all new. If the sound is a little different, yeah, it's because we're in an all new apartment. Yeah, uh, uh, Winnie and I do not live together, but we used to live very, very close. Like seriously, within walking distance, very easy walking distance, uh, and that made podcasting a snap. Uh, and now I've moved a bit further away, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, podcasting in person is going to be not as common. We're going to yeah. try to do it every week, but we'll probably have to do a lot more remote. And we're still figuring out like the sound and the levels and what the room tone is around here and all that kind of stuff. So there'll be a few mm-hmm. growing pains as we figure this out. But um, the cool thing is is that we are together again. Finally. Together it's been such a chaotic Yeah, we're recording in person. We're in the same room. Yes, it feels right. Here, give, give me a high five to yeah. it. There we go. Uh, there we go. Couldn't just mix that in. That's that, that's no, no. genuine. <laughs> that's impossible. Can you imagine <laughs> the magic of it all? Uh, but yeah, so uh, throughout the month of October, we brought Cancel Too Soon back, and we've been doing a series of failed horror pilots uh, for uh, for funsies, uh, mm-hmm. we did a failed pilot from uh, Edward D. Wood Jr., uh, allegedly uh, one of the worst, if not the worst, filmmakers of all time. But we're going to close out with a pilot which, sort of, comes from one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and I don't mean Marcus Nispel. I was about to say, Marcus Nispel is one of the greatest <laughs> filmmakers of all time. No, it was executive produced by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Yes. I Ma- just reviewed one of his movies. Yep, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, the director of such classic films as Box Taxi... Car- Boxcar Bertha. Boxcar Bertha. And uh, New York, one New York. And New York, New York. And that's all. Yeah, those are the two. Uh, no, Taxi Driver, Raging mm-hmm. Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed, Silence, Wolf of Wall Street, and of course, the most recent release, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, he's he's done TV before. Mm-hmm. He's done oh, yeah, not a lot, he's... but he's, he's executive produced TV. In fact, we actually, one of our first shows that we did was uh, executive produced by Martin Scorsese. It was uh, Vinyl. That's right. Yeah, it was an HBO uh, series about the 1970s music scene. Yeah, he... he... 
Scorsese has no he has no puey attitudes about TV. He prefers yeah. working in film, like yeah. making movies. That's his medium. Um, but, but he's he's done a lot of things. He's done documentaries. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. I remember uh just to tie this into Halloween, mm. uh, when Tales from the Crypt was on, yeah, uh, they does. approached everybody about appearing on that show. Like, yeah, would you like to direct an episode? Would you like to star in an episode? And yeah. everyone was really excited about it. The actors were really excited. Some actors got to direct for the first time. Yeah. Schwarzenegger directed an episode. Tom Hanks directed an episode. Uh, and they asked famous filmmakers, uh, would you like to make an episode? And they went into Scorsese's office and he met with them. Like, yeah. they actually met him in the office. Yeah. And, uh, they would always get the same response for the people who refused Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. And they would say, no. But there was this one story I remember from when I was a kid that really disturbed yeah. me. If I did it, I would do that one. And uh, they met with Scorsese, and Scorsese said, yeah, this is really fun, but no, not my beat. I'm not going to do Tales from the Crypt. I don't do... He doesn't do supernatural stories. I don't think he's ever has. He's done, like, mm-hmm. scary thrillers. Cape Fear is quite scary, but... Cape, Cape Fear, but that's like a... A killer out of jail. Yeah, it's a for thrill. Revenge. It's, a thrill. Um, it's not really a closest he might get might be Shutter Island because there's some like there's hallucination some, yeah. kind of supernatural ish thing. That's a going genre on. as he ever got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he would never do something like Tales from the Crypt, which is almost unilaterally supernatural. And they're they're like, okay, well, thank you for meeting with us, Mr. Scorsese. Thanks for having us in the office. We're happy to meet you. And as they're walking out the door. They hear him call back. But there was this one comic I read. Like, yes. <laughs> Suddenly like, they didn't share which nah, one, which story it was. That which one, one that sucks. Out, yeah. And I would really like to know which which Tales from the Crypt tantalized oh. uh, uh, Martin Scorsese. But uh, Martin Scorsese, even though he hasn't really worked a lot in the horror genre, mm-hmm. there was a time when he was attached to executive produce a television series based on arguably the most important horror story ever written mm. uh, certainly one of the most influential stories ever written in any genre yeah atlas shrugged atlas shut up <laughs> <laughs> sorry almost got me there uh no it's a story uh by uh mary wollstonecraft shelley uh it is considered one of the first uh horror like not a horror a horror predates it one of the first like sci-fi novels of mm. its ilk uh, it created sort of this idea we had about the undead the living dead zombies mad scientists uh and uh they collaborated with horror author Dean Koontz, mm-hmm. the other other Stephen King. <laughs> who's, goes, who's the other Stephen it goes King? Steve, it's like Stephen King and Clive Barker are like right up there. Yeah, yeah. And then like maybe R.L. Stein if you're a kid. And like then Dean Koontz. Uh, or Peter Straub, he's in there too. He's in there too. Peter Straub wrote a book with Stephen King. I understand that, but uh, Dean Koontz wrote Hideaway, so... um it's true. Remember that? Remember that movie with Jeff Goldblum and uh, was it Jeremy Sisto? Oh, I forgot who played the bad guy was, in that I one. It, Alicia Silverstone was that his daughter. I remember? Yeah. Yeah. I saw. I saw Hideaway and Candyman: Farewell to the Flesh on the same night. Ooh, what was it's, better? Because uh, Candyman: Farewell to the Flesh is at, actually not that good. <laughs> at, at, at the time, I thought they were both fine. You know, this, okay. this was like the mid '90s. So I was still in high school, but yeah, I, I was very proud of myself. I saw Hideaway. I walked out of the theater thinking, hmm, that was really nice. Where do I want to do, what do I want to do now? Do I want to go home? And I looked at the theater, bought another ticket and saw Candyman, went right back in. And I, I think it was the first time I kind of like constructed nice. a double feature for myself, like just on the fly. Uh, the bad guy in Hideaway was Jeremy Sisto, and mm. it was directed by Brett Leonard, who had also done The Lawnmower Man, hence right. the other Stephen King. 
Uh, oh, Brett Leonard is the linking material there, isn't boom. he? Nicely done. Uh, but uh, no, this was actually a collaborative effort between uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, Dean Koontz, and then we'll talk about this, but during the production process, they both left. <laughs> but they did enough work that they could still slap their name on it. And we were able to get from Marcus Nispel, who was really a hot shit at the time. This was around the same was time Texas Chainsaw Massacre had come out. He was a music video guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think Texas Chainsaw was his first... The remake of Texas Chainsaw was his first feature film. Mm, which was a you know, monster hit. It was like a bigger hit than you remember. Yeah. He also uh, would go on after this to make uh, the remake of uh, Friday the 13th. Which is quite uh, good. Well, uh, compared to those movies, which are all terrible, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's actually one yeah. of the better ones. Yeah, but this was actually one year after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake rocked the box office, was a huge smash hit, ushered right. in a brand new wave of like horror remakes that were like much more mm. dark. Than had ever been before. Martin uh, Scorsese was working on Gangs of New York, so you know, yeah. big messy production that he didn't like working on. Yeah, and uh, they teamed up with Parker Posey. Yay! For Frankenstein. I can help you. Spread your arms on your knees. I bow to no one. I wasn't asking. Your real enemy is not the killer. It's his maker, and mine too. I was his first. I was created with bodies from a prison graveyard. My life force from a thunderstorm. If you do not help me, Victor Helios will destroy mankind and populate the world with his creations. Search the city. Spread the word among my people. If he runs, kill him. He's armed. He's very dangerous. I'm not the monster anymore. I'm your best hope. That's Frankenstein. Sorry. Uh, and rather unfortunately, there are no characters named Frankenstein <laughs> in this goddamn pilot. No, no, no. So um, that, that's the that's the cliche. That's the trite way to do it. We're uh, doing like the cool new. Yeah. Oh, like we're okay. Make the, it all new and exciting. There's a there's a Doctor Frankenstein, but in the, this series, he's called Doctor Helios. Yes. And there's <laughs> there's a Frankenstein monster. He's got uh, he's got like scars on his face. Uh-huh. And there's actually a scene where he turns to the camera and just says, "People call me the monster." Yes. Uh, they're both played by obnoxiously whispery like Euro trash male models. It's Thomas Kretschmann and uh, Vincent Perez. Come on. These are not. These are not. These are not. These are actors. These are like significant I, actors. You could have fooled me. <laughs> Vincent Perez had no. a moment where I don't think he's. he's I, I know Thomas Kretschmann. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know Vincent, Vincent Perez. Perez but Thomas Kretschmann is an actor. I've seen him in other things. I remember Vincent, Vincent Perez had a hot moment in like the late '90s where he uh, he starred in the sequel to The Crow. The Crow City of Angels, which was hotly anticipated before anyone saw it and knew it sucked, mm. uh, but uh, it it did. Uh, it, it was really quite bad. Of course, the original Crow uh, is based on a, a classic independent comic book. Uh, and it, during the production, uh, Brandon Lee tragically died in an onset accident involving a, a gun with a faulty blank. Um, the movie is great. His performance is great. Some would argue that even finishing it, considering it's a story about a guy who comes back from the dead, is kind of ghoulish. But it is a good testament to how brilliant Brandon mm-hmm. Lee was. Uh, they decided to, you know, make a sequel, and considering that the premise 
didn't necessitate bringing the same character back. It's like, what if other people came back? And they no, were also. It's, it's called The yeah. Crow. It's yeah. not about that guy. It's The Crow brings your soul back. So they yeah. were like, okay, let's just do another one. But this time it takes place in the future. Uh, and it's a new guy. And. It's kind of like this weird dystopian future. Yeah. Where everything's really kind of grimy. And. I remember a bit where. I've... I'm not sure if it was like a dance club or some kind of medical facility, but it looks like both at once. Yeah. And the people like bouncing off these weird fleshy membranes. It was, it's one of these weird yellow movies. Like everything yeah. feels like it was like every every frame looks like it's been urinated on. And like Which, you know, it's a look. It's a look. Uh, but uh, I will say two things through the Crow City of Angels. <laughs> uh, one, awesome soundtrack. It, it's In one a of vacuum. those. Yeah, it's In one, a of, vacuum, one of those soundtracks kicks ass. bad movie, great soundtrack things. Also, yeah. um, Iggy Pop was, I think, going to be in the first Crow movie, and then they couldn't make it work. Uh-huh. He's in the second one. He's the best part. <laughs> He's, like, legitimately good. Mm. He's, like, legitimately giving a decent performance. I- Iggy Pop's a gas whenever awesome. he shows up in any yeah. movie. Um, so Vincent Perez plays the monster. The monster is named Deucalion, which I believe is the name of Prometheus's son in Greek mythology. Okay. Which makes sense. Mm. Uh, it's a- Bit of stretch, but it's fine. Yeah, you, you get it, right? <laughs> uh, look, some screenwriters like took a break after that. It's like do kill. Yeah, I'm I'm having a drink. Like uh, that's where we are. And uh, Thomas Kretschmann plays Doctor Helios, aka Doctor Frankenstein. Uh, and Thomas Kretschmann, he's he's an actor who like started just showing up in Hollywood. Playing like a lot of villains, like well, he he's, played. He's the, a German actor, yeah. and he played a lot of German villains in yeah. American thrillers. He played, um, oh, who was he in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Baron, um, not Baron Zemo. He, he, he was, was. He was he at was the beginning like, of, of Age of Ultron. Was it Crossbones? No, 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 no. He was like the head of Hydra, oh, or okay. something. Like, hold on, it was Baron something something. You know, Baron, you know the guy, Baron McDougalface. <laughs> Man, Baron. Uh, Baron von Strucker, Baron von Strucker. Yes, he was the he was he was Baron von Strucker, and you they, you thought they were going to do something pretty big with him because he's kind of a big deal in the comics. No, that's that's it really. <laughs> he got like two scenes, and then they were done with Baron Strucker. Bummer. Um, but uh, it's actually there's still a good cast, and obviously, as I said, Parker Posey. Park, yeah, Parker Posey plays. Um... The, the main character. She's a detective, yeah. and her partner is played by Adam Goldberg, yeah. and. Um, Okay, just give me a cop show with those two. Yeah. Parker Posey... You don't need Frankenstein in this thing. That's good enough casting. Parker Posey is one of the great actors of the 1990s, just period, and and since, but in the 1990s... to this day. My point is, in the 1990s, she was just like... She was like a big indie darling with like Lily Taylor and... and, Yeah. uh, Oh, well... Hmm. Who else? I just had a brain fart. Um, Ileana Douglas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They were just like... They were the toasts of the independent... Mm. A Hollywood scene, and you would see Parker Posey in everything. You'd see her in the House of Yes or Party Girl. Uh, whenever she showed up in a big movie like Blade Trinity, she was always the best part of it. Uh, she was in Scream Three. She's probably the best part of that movie. <laughs> uh, she's a brilliant actor, and seeing her as the lead in a TV series makes me want to see that series sight unseen. Uh, Adam Goldberg, uh, not as well known, but uh, you know he's 
he's a very recognizable actor. He's got a very... He, he was the guy from Dazed and Confused mm-hmm. when they're asking you, what are you going to do after school, man? Yeah. And he says in this very dramatic way, I, I'm i going to dance, like really, really <laughs> sarcastically. That's really funny. Yeah, he was he, in you know, like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, uh, uh, Beautiful Mind, Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good career. Uh, so that's really, really uh, cool Also guy. an excellent actor. I yeah. love Adam Driver. Um, Adam uh, Dri- I like Adam Driver, too. Adam Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. Off to the side, uh, as, as a character who'd probably be more of a recurring character, uh, you've got a rival homicide detective played by Michael Madsen. Kind of a big get. That's yeah. a pretty good get, you know? And, and um, Michael Madsen's one of those actors who's always interesting to me because he will be... Michael Madsen will be good in everything. He's very rarely, like astounding he's always really really good and he will show up in some of the best movies ever made and some of the worst oh he's he's in a lot of garbage (laughs) he will just show up and he will be in your movie if if you and he's and he's always playing himself Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a a great deal of range but everybody needs that kind of like michael madsen type like like, a a growly kind of mean guy he's good that's his that's his special he's a growly mean guy who looks like he reads (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't look like he's not like a big, you know, l- l- hunk of of muscle in the b- back corner of a bar. Yeah, I, I always wanted know? Michael Madsen and Tom Sizemore to yeah. star in a movie together because they kind of take up the same space in the same way. I thought they were the same actor for a while. <laughs> they, they would have the same roles. You could like interchange them. Kind of grizzled no... cop characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, and then. Um... Let's see. And then the other, like, kind of... Michael Madsen's partner. Well, yeah. Because Adam Goldberg and Parker Posey are partners. Yeah. And then Michael Madsen and other cop are partners. And they're... And they're always at the same crime scenes, which yeah. is a little baffling. Yeah, it's always just like, um, do, do you guys talk this out at all? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this is well. Okay, we live in Los Angeles. You know, when, whenever there like a cop needs to be called to do something really simple, like, hey, you're, um, excuse me, young man, you're sleeping in the the entrance of the Best Buy, and the employees yeah. are too shy to ask you to move, so they called the cops. Yeah, and then eight cop cars are there. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, so we, it's, we've seen that in Los Angeles. I'm guessing it's the same with detectives. Oh, there's a crime. Yeah, we'll all just show up. Yeah, got to justify that budget somehow. Uh, the uh, Michael Madsen's character is named Detective Harker, which mm. is a reference to Dracula. Dracula, yeah. And his partner is Detective Dwight Fry. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Dwight Fry is the actor who played uh, Renfield in the original 1931 Dracula movie. Yeah, yeah. He, he was... also played Fritz in Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a fun little, mm. little aside there. Um, the basic premise uh, of this show is that, uh, Fra- obviously, the Frankenstein monster is real. Uh, the Dr. Uh, Frankenstein is real. And they have... The Frankenstein monster cannot die. It lives to this day. And after two, creating the... Two, Fra- he says, I'm 200 years old. A lot in this, but that, this pilot. That, yeah. That's a fair amount. It's more than mm-hmm. I've lived. Um, and Dr. Frankenstein, after sort of perfecting his technology, has extended his own life. Mm. So that he is still alive. And he has been making more artificial humans all this time ever since. And Parker Posey and Adam Goldberg are going to team up with the Frankenstein monster to solve... Dr. Frankenstein related crimes in New Orleans and try to get to the bottom Mm. of Dr. Frankenstein's criminal empire. Um, That is a fun idea. I'm not going to call it a great idea, but it is a fun idea. On the page, it's a fun idea. Yeah. Somebody needs to tell that to Marcus Nispel. (laughs) I want to make this like, can we make it seven but drearier somehow? Like it, it, it has that kind of 
this is shot in 2004, and I hated a lot of photographic trends at this yeah. time in the early 2000s, when, because there was a, this big push toward digital photography. Yeah. And it made for some really stylized, like, music videos, mm-hmm. like this kind of new kind of digital grain. It, it was a new style of amateur yeah. photography. Uh, and there was a lot of color timing that was yeah. being changed artificially as well. So everything, all of a sudden, everything was kind of like washed out. Everything was given okay. a certain kind of tint. Yeah. Green was a really popular tint. To yeah, like, to like a lot uncorrected of fluorescent yeah. light. If you ever like uh, capture a fluorescent light on a film stock, uh, it naturally skews green. Mm. Uh, and usually you color time that out in post, but if you don't, it looks it gets this really sickly yeah. kind of look. However... This is worth noting. Um, the director of photography on Frankenstein was also the director of photography on Marcus Nisbell's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and was also the director of photography on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, that's right, Daniel yeah. Pearl. And this episode, this pilot, was shot on Super sixteen millimeter. I, I wouldn't tell. I couldn't well, tell, man. I mean, it looks really digital to me. But like, um, a part of it might be the transfer. This, we, this no, is available on Tubi. That's true. I don't think it's necessarily been like cleaned up in 4K to like really it, make it pop, you know? But that's the thing, because I, I just saw a feature film. It was called Divinity, and that was shot on 16mm film, but that deliberately wanted to have this sort of like black and white grain, this yeah. uh, really a lot of grit to the image. There's grit to this image, but it's it's clean grit, if that makes any sense. It looks really artificial. It it looks like... um, Everything is disgusting, but it also looks like a magazine shoot. Yeah. You know, like there's a scene where... Really um, constructed disgustingness. There's a scene where uh, Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Helios... um, They they took a, a, a page from the Jennifer Beals Sting movie, The Bride... (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is one of the more interesting Frankenstein adaptations of the 80s where um, another one of those that's uh, really interestingly photographed and really boring to watch it. you hear Sting is playing Dr. Frankenstein and you're like ooh mm. and you hear Jennifer Beals is playing the Bride of Frankenstein and you're like ooh uh-huh. and you hear Clancy Brown is playing the Frankenstein monster and you're like ooh <laughs> and then you watch the movie and, and it's, it's, it's just, just kind of crap yeah. yeah it's um, but the premise of that is that it's actually like a sequel to a Frankenstein movie we never saw and after Bride of Frankenstein the monster and the Bride of Frankenstein kind of went separately their ways and Dr. Frankenstein has been like living with the Bride of Frankenstein and she doesn't know that she's an artificial creation Um, an interesting premise they do very little with it Um, here I'll I'll give them credit they actually explore some of the possibilities of that where uh, Dr. Frankenstein uh, is uh, living with uh, the Bride of Frankenstein uh, Ivana uh, I'm going to butcher this Milicevic uh, who had around that time was doing I think it's Milicevic Milicevic Uh, around that time she had also uh, done a small but memorable role in Casino Royale uh, and she's a hardworking actress. She's been working ever since, uh, and I, she's she's rather good in this, I think. Um, and she has apparently been designed by Doctor Frankenstein to be very uh, submissive, uh, to want to fulfill his every need, and this has become boring to him, and it has given her like this sort of crisis where she doesn't understand like if yeah if I was created to serve you and I bore you what is the point of me? Mm. Which is kind of interesting subplot. We'll see how it goes. But there's a part where uh, she's being made and she's in like absolute like wet white 
paint and it's, she's got yeah, like headphones on. She looks like she just jumped out of a Bjork video. And as she's like writhing, as she like emerges, like it's just covered like, in you know, glop. Yeah. yeah, and it's like it's kind of beautiful. It's not really sexy, but there is a sensuality to it. And it's even though it's like it's gross. There's glop. There's grain. There's grime. It is all so particular. There's nothing about mm. it that feels like it was found. It always looks like it was very carefully designed. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's the worst thing you can do, but I, I think it, it was just sort of the aesthetic trend at yeah, the time. Yeah, and that's just the well, way and, things and, looked for a while. And look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Exactly. You know, the original Texas Chainsaw looks really. Uh, it looks like found footage. It looks yeah. like documentary footage. It, there's yeah. there's a, a just filth all over the film stock yeah. itself. It's actually beautifully photographed, <coughs> but it's beautifully photographed to look like filth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it, it looks and feels really filthy. It looks like the cannibals themselves shot the movie. Yeah. Uh, and then you compare that to the remake. Same photographer. Yeah. But uh, very different filmmaker. Yeah. It, it, very, very different filmmaker. And that one, everything looks really painterly. It's just, yeah. looks utterly gorgeous, that movie. Which is completely inappropriate for the actual <laughs> subject matter. It's always interesting it's like, to well, me. Why, why, why is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre happening in the middle of this, like, ultra-slick, like, borderline Terrence Malick photography where just everything looks really beautiful but the camera's like pulling out through head wounds and stuff. It's like, what? Am I supposed to be thrilled or impressed by this? I'm I'm always fascinated. It doesn't happen often when uh, the same cinematographer is brought in to make basically, if not exactly, the same movie Uh but for different filmmakers and the best example I can think of is uh, Manhunter. Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is an adaptation of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon, uh, has cinematography by Dante Spinati. And okay. Dante Spinati is an absolutely brilliant cinematographer. Just absolutely mm. one of the greats. And that movie is just fascinatingly, horrifically beautiful to look at. Uh, uh, he also did um, LA Confidential. He did The Insider. Oh, okay. Um, he worked with Brett Ratner on the remake, Red Dragon. Okay. And you know what? That movie looks okay. <laughs> it, yeah, it looks... It, it, it's, it's pretty. Uh, pretty Brett, efficient. Brett Ratner realized that the the word red was in the title, so you'll see some more red in the movie. What a creative man. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, it's such a good cast, and the source material is so great, and everyone who's working on it is so brilliant. And you say to yourself, well, why did it just turn out sort of... Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's what's the difference? Because you've got Dante Spinati and you got the, the one of the best casts ever assembled. What what's the difference between Manhunter and Red Dragon? There must be like one key could, difference. Could, could it be the director? Maybe. Uh, so, but so Marcus Nispel, I feel, is definitely uh, uh, a guiding force here, and he's got mm. this music video, hard edged but still glamorous aesthetic. Um, and yeah, I think when we were when you were watching this, you texted me and said, "This is the most 2004 thing I've ever seen." In my yeah, life. It, it, yeah. It, it bears all of the hallmarks of things that were hip at the time. It's funny to me how uh, and and if you're if you're listening to this and and you're young and you haven't noticed this yet, it will happen to you. Um, when you're in the middle of an era, it can be a little difficult to narrow down what is your era's current aesthetic, like mm-hmm. what's going to be like in ten years going to date every single thing you, you see and think of as just normal movies. Uh, you know, we think of, like, the 60s and they had, like, split screen or, uh, you know, the 
the 70s had that kind of like French connection grit. Mm. Um, the 2000s look, looked like Frankenstein 2004 yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know the, if I could have the, nailed it at the time exactly what yeah, it was but that's this is a this is a lodestone this is a key Frankenstein's monster uh, has like long wet hair it's like yeah. always wet yeah. no matter what the scene is and he wears a, a coat that I never saw anybody wear in life but I saw everywhere in movies yeah it's kind of long you know, long trench coat with a hood. Yeah. And like sort of I don't know what it's called, but that flap that goes around the shoulders and yeah. across the back. It looks Towards kind that. of it looks kind of medieval. A little bit. You know, but it's actually probably very, very designed. Van Helsing word in the movie yeah. Van Helsing, same coat. I'm sure there's a name for that coat, and I'm sure somebody's mm. yelling it at their at their Yeah, sadly, phone. yeah, sadly I'm not yeah. if you know that, the name that, of that well, coat that learned in coats. If you know the name of that coat, tweet us or or, or Blue Sky is even better. Uh we're at critic acclaim. Please let us know the name of that coat so we can buy that coat. Um, <laughs> it's a cool coat. It is a nice coat. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's incredibly 2004. It's yeah. really dreary. It's really over-stylized in trying to make it look gritty. Mm. Um, it's it's that post-MTV thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of our listeners might be too young to remember that... Um, the phrase MTV editing. Yeah. Uh, music video editing was notoriously very quick and a lot of the original programming on MTV in the 1990s was trying to add a lot of energy by cutting in a lot of close-ups, moving the camera a lot and just yeah. editing really, really quickly, trying to keep you a little bit uh, off balance and dizzy. If you want to see the best example of this ever, we did a Cancel Too Soon uh, show called Dead at 21. Yeah, Dead at 21. Watch the pilot episode for Dead at 21 that's just what it was like. That's, that's just it, what stuff looks like today, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> today, that looks avant-garde. Mm. Like, it's not like we're like, oh yeah, that's what everything looks like now. Like, no, no, that was weird then and it's weird now. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, but that kind of editing then sort of like lurked into mm. into just regular commercial productions. Yeah. Uh, MTV editing became kind of the norm mm. uh, for a long time. So and a lot of there filmmakers was, moved from MTV yeah. into the filmmaking space. Yeah, People Marcus like Nispel, but also yeah. David Fincher. Antoine so. Fuqua, Spike yeah. Jones, who who admittedly brought a different aesthetic to film than mm. a lot of the others. I wish Antoine Corbin made more features. Yeah. Did you see Control? No, The, uh, the Joy Division film he did? No, yeah, that's that a good one. Um, so yeah, this kind of like rapid fire keep everyone's attention create this like dizzying montage uh, and you can see this in like the opening credits of seven mm. all the fight club is yeah, like that aesthetic yeah. um but this was a, l- a few years after that yeah um i feel like 2001 was about when mtv essentially drew to a close in terms of its like cultural presence yeah um they were they launched in the early 80s they were huge throughout the 80s they made sure that the music video was important uh, and they kind of rode that wave throughout m- various uh, musical trends in the 1990s by 2001 yeah MTV and music videos weren't taking up quite as much space mm. it's just sort of in the cultural conversation yeah I think because music sucked at the time well I think uh, and, and, I, and I, of course I'm saying that because what's the best music that was ever made it's whatever was out when you were 16. I mean, that's part uh, and, of it. Uh, but also the music industry was changing very, music very rapidly. Was changing. In the early uh, yeah. 2000s, uh, st- uh, services like Napster mm. uh, had forced the music industry to go all digital. Yeah. Like, really, really fast. Because, like, okay, if we don't go all digital and create a some sort of monetary environment where people mm. can access 
albums they would have previously paid 20 bucks for. Yeah. For a fraction of that. Otherwise, we can't compete with piracy. Yeah. Uh, we will simply have everything pirated and no one will make any money and none of our artists will get paid and none of our executives will get paid. They had to change everything really, 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 really fast. So the way that music videos served as an advertisement for music mm. changed a little bit and they stopped <laughs> becoming such a such an, uh, a powerful force. They still make music videos today and occasionally you'll... Oh, you they're may huge have, hits. Yeah, oh, they're sometimes they're huge big, hits. You know, you, music videos you know, Taylor Swift to put out a big one, whatever. And like... Well, like two summers ago, or, uh, WAP, WAP, was everywhere. Yeah. It, was, it was a big music video. Sure, but it used to be there would be new music videos out all the time that were driving the culture in one way or another. Yeah. Either because they were making a song that otherwise people wouldn't care about, but now the music video was so interesting people would talk about it and want to see it over and over again. And you would wait on MTV just like, come on, play that Soul Asylum music video where all the kids run away. It's really sad. I don't know why. Why was that popular? That was so weird. But regardless, it was strange and people were into it. Yeah. Like, anything... But uh, could could it was a huge part of the music industry, yeah, and, and as the music industry shifted, it became a smaller part of the music industry. Yeah, uh, yeah. and also a, a certain element, and this was what I was going to get at is you watch a lot of the music videos of like the eighties and nineties, and they're they're weird and they're fun, and you yeah. know a lot of uh, artists are sort of invent reinventing the short film form. Yeah, that, uh, you know. Not just you know your devos, but also like Peter Gabriel is really trying to stretch oh, yeah. the, the medium a little bit, and there was a lot of playfulness and a lot of yeah. experimentation going on. And I feel like by two thousand four, there there was no more room for experimenting in terms mm-hmm. of like what music videos want, wanted to do. Well, and they kind of settled salt, into advertising. They, yeah. they settled into this yeah this kind of very comforting advertising language. Uh, the world now just looked really stylized to the point where it was boring to look at. Yeah, and that's right where Frankenstein comes in. <laughs> Because it's really super stylized. Yeah. There's all these really kind of gothic interiors and these weird kind of production design. Everybody's apartment looks like the cave from Seven. Yeah. It's like, oh gosh, this is a weird apartment. It looks like your apartment. They all look the same. <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought that when you grew up, that you that was that was the only apartment you could get in the city. It yeah, was, it was just, just like, some some hovel. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 you're. Your bathtub is literally made of cockroaches. Like that's like the only, <laughs> yeah, and you and and yeah. that was fine, and we liked it that way. So so yeah. we're, we're this is all a very long roundabout way of saying it's not really interesting to look at. It's like super stylized. It's like over photographed. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of close ups and a lot of fast editing in a way that feels super generic. And yet at the time they were going for. This is going to make it feel super mm. hardcore, super gritty, super dramatic. Because let's be honest here. Cop teams up with Frankenstein Monster to solve monster crimes. Mm. That's a Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah, well, that's, 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 a, that's a whimsical premise. Yeah. Like, you, you would put can, that can on the sci-fi some... network with, a, yeah. with bright lighting and jokes. Mm. You know, like, so, like, they're we attempting make it, like, to, like, make special it, Special like, Unit 2 or something, which yeah. came out not... Shortly before that, yeah, th- 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 this is a, a, a desperate attempt to make this not not good per se. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was that was the goal, but good and edgy. And very few things are less edgy than trying to be edgy. <laughs> like manufactured edginess is the least edgy thing you can possibly be. Yeah, you have wholesome to have a- is more edgy than that. 
because at the very least you're doing something. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, and, and there's not a lot of edge, unfortunately. There's no. there's like there's a couple of, there's a couple of surprisingly like there's some dark moment like uh, Doctor Doctor some... Helios treats his bride very poorly. Mm-hmm. There's a sex scene that's a lot more intense than I thought it would be. I'm, I'm I don't sure know. there's like some nude bodies. They yeah. carefully cover it all up. But yeah, but like but, but there's naked. actual like the 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 physical act. Of having sex, even though it's you know done in you know sort of TV safe, you don't really see anything. Mm. But there's it's, there's a certain yeah there's just a certain intensity to the act, uh, um, an unpleasantness to the act. Mm. Like it's consensual, but it's also bad for everybody involved. And nobody's <laughs> enjoying it. Um, that really struck me. I was like, oh wow, that you would not do that now outside of HBO. That's not mm. a thing. So that was kind of weird. There's some gross imagery, uh, but for the most part, yeah, this is this is uh, this is practically yeah. fan fiction. Yeah, yeah and, of Frankenstein. And, yeah, and the plot is a little bit convoluted. So yeah, um, it's a lot there's a lot of world building. That's for, that's for for sure. But yeah, uh, you mentioned already, Doctor Helios has been making other creatures and. Yeah. He has a, and this is Thomas Kretschmann, and he has a, a speech about how he just sort of longs for perfection. That's why he's been doing this. He wants to make the perfect person. Yeah. And he's been doing uh, experiments to create beings, sort of like in Crimes of the Future, the David Cronenberg yeah. movie. Well, to have like where, extra um, hearts yeah, and like, like this person has, sinuses. Yeah, this or... person has a third sinus and extra hearts and uh, their bones are unbreakable and uh, they look like, they're just like a schlubby security guard. Yeah, they look like a regular person, yeah. but in interiorly, mm. that's not a word, internally. Internally. Uh, internally, uh, but, uh, they're, they're like a, they're like a, a god. Yeah. And... Golly, there could have been a really fun scene, and sadly, it's not a very fun scene where the pathologist explains all of this. Yeah, there needs a bit where he's like eating a sandwich. Yeah, look at these extra organs, or he's Please smoking a cigarette. A I, I want, I love the wisecracking pathologist. It's a cliche. I love it. Yeah, uh, and they just sort of have a pathologist who gives Parker Posey and Adam Goldberg some exposition. The, the, the closest thing we got is that he's kind of young, like surprisingly mm. young for a pathologist, but not like. You know, Wunderkind okay. teenager. Okay. He's just like in his have 20s. A, have a 12-year-old. That like, would be so, yeah, different, like, right? I'm, I'm 12. I'm a genius. I went to uh, went to medical school and I'm out. I'm 12 and I'm I, doing I, this autopsy. I'm kind of morbid. I like coroner stuff. Yeah. Whatever. When I'm when I'm 20, I'll switch careers. Um, don't don't change any of the dialogue. Just make him 12. <laughs> if it's enough, we'll the, spin on the scene. The, the story kicks off. Well, there's a brief prologue where we see the Frankenstein monster stowing away on a ship. And oh, then yeah, somebody's uh, like sneaking food. To the yeah, monster, like a security yeah. guard comes in and is mean to like the kid sneaking him food, so he kills the security guard. I, I guess that's supposed to be a misdirect into thinking this guy is a bad guy. Uh, there's a plot point, an important plot point. It's set in dialogue, but it is not supported by anything that we see. Where uh, the Frankenstein monster, played by again by Vincent Paris, uh, he comes to New Orleans. He's going to visit an old friend who like lives in some kind of like dilapidated theater, and his friend is gone arbitrarily. And he's the, the person who is going to be taking care of him is that friend's friend. Mm. Weird choices. Uh, and she tells the Frankenstein monster, "In the old days, a face like yours would have been gold in the freak shows," suggesting. Yeah. That he looks monstrous. Here's the thing. He looks like Vincent Perez with a scar. 
Yeah. He's handsome. Uh, I, I was reminded of, uh, I didn't see the movie, but there was a film came out called Beastly. Yes. Uh, with I an, act, an actor. I'm sorry. It's quite I, I heard it was quite bad. Um, but yeah, I know yeah. Alex Pettifer, the actor, yeah. plays, um, it, it's it's a Beauty and the Beast story yeah. where uh, he does something horrible. and He's, he's, he's a hotshot teenager. He's like that teen fairy tale sort of update thing that mm. they were doing for a while. He's a hotshot. He pisses off an actual witch who goes to his school and she curses him to be like gross and unlovable because he believed in superficiality. Uh, she, she made him hotter. She like, yeah, she like gave him like cool scar. Like, yeah, take off his scar, gave him some like piercings and tattoos. And he just looks like much cooler. Like he looks, and he still looks like Alex Pettifer. So he's like, like a handsome dude. He looks like the kind of handsome, like it, it's definitely a type. Uh-huh. Not, it's not going to be everybody's type, but like, you know, if you're if you're into the S and M clubs, that guy's going to get a lot of attention. Mm. That guy's going to be very very popular. It really undermines the entire premise when you make the person whose quote unquote ugliness is so important. It's a plot point when you make that handsome. Yeah, kind of missed, kind of messed up. This feels <laughs> like a studio note. We're like, yeah, we wanted to make him really, really gross. So he was like, no, you can't have a no, gross hero. We have to have a really good looking yeah. hero. The sweet spot was Beauty and the Beast with Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman, mm. where he was like a, a lion man living under the streets of yeah, it was like an animal. Yeah, but yeah, so like he looked inhuman, like he couldn't walk around like a normal person. But for an animal man, gorgeous. And that's a great have your cake and eat it too thing. He cannot just show his face without that becoming the center of attention. Mm-hmm. He has to hide in the shadows if he doesn't want to become, you know, a spectacle. But also you totally get why Linda Hamilton is totally into him. <laughs> so like that was a good one. Here they say he's ugly, he's not. And sometimes I think that the grim, dark, shadowy lighting we get in this Frankenstein is just trying to hide how handsome Vincent Press is. Yeah. yeah. Just so that they can kind of get away with the premise of the show. Um, but uh, Parker Posey is uh, uh, a cop and she is on the trail of a serial killer. And at the beginning of the story, the serial killer has, you know, gone kind of Jack the Ripper. He's killed a couple of people and he's pulled out their organs. At the beginning of this episode, uh, the pilot, uh, there's a new body, but it's a little different. Their organ has been removed. Their heart has been removed from their chest cavity. But surgically. No, yeah, surgically. But there's no sign of a struggle. Indeed, it actually looks like they were fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is strange, right? That, that, there that's was a plot point. There's a fun clue where there's like blood splatter. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of books spilled around because he was a, a security guard at like a library. Yeah. And uh, Parker Posey finds that the blood splattered upon a page, and then the killer like turned a couple pages. Yeah. Unfortunately, that doesn't pay off later, but I like that clue. It's, it's a neat. Kind of it's a neat, neat image. image. Like, it shows that she's observant, which is what mm. you're really trying to get at with that. She's a good cop. Uh, Michael Madsen, uh, detectives Harker and Fry, uh, show up and say, "Oh, actually, uh, you know, I know you're on the hunt for this serial killer, but we think this is an unrelated case." And she's like. Really? <laughs> you think this is completely unrelated? You think this is a total coinkydink? Huh. But um, that will pay off later. Uh, she goes to the victim's apartment. The victim's apartment is the apartment from Seven. Yeah. It's yeah. gross. It's got like a bunch of uh, air air fresheners hanging yeah. from the ceiling. He's got it's, a yeah. room where like he's got like, you know, razor blades. Like you kind of put kind of put in like the old fashioned uh, face yeah. shavers. Uh 
just hanging from the ceiling. Like, you know, if you had, like, had to walk through the room, you'd cut yourself. Uh, but, however, I think this is noteworthy. He also had cats. <laughs> He's doing okay, right? The cats love him. Can't be that mm-hmm. bad, right? Come on. Um, so, something's up with this guy. The victim almost seems more interesting than the killer. Okay. There's yeah, a setup yeah. here. I'm kind of interested. Um, Parker Posey is such an interesting uh, actor. She's so funny. She brings such. She's got this personality. She's really struggling with this material because this material was asking her to be a generic detective protagonist, like the kind of detective protagonist you would see in hmm. any like a noir TV. film. Oh, just any TV show. Like you look at something like, and I know I'm going to piss some people off here. I only saw the first season, but you look at something like Lucifer. Okay. Which was about a detective who teamed up with Lucifer. Like Satan. Satan himself to solve crimes. Lucifer is the draw there. Lucifer is the interesting, exciting, strange character who approaches the world in a different way and says amusing things and has powers. And the human is the is the human. You know, they're there to be kind of a stick in the mud, have things explained to them, say that, like, I disapprove of everything that you're doing. And that's a tough role because, by definition, it's less interesting than the other character. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't mean to pick on Lucifer, it's just the first example that came to my head. There's plenty of other examples. Um, There are people who can make gold out of that. That's very, very impressive. You, I, I think uh, uh, the role of Dana Scully kind of started like that. Where okay. it's like Mulder is the weird, kooky, interesting one, and she's, and she's kind like, of like the, the... Essentially the straight man. Yeah, exactly. And eventually they realize that, no, Gillian Anderson is incredibly funny and they have a different rapport, and that's what really helped that show kind of bring to life. But I think on the page, that first episode, I think without Gillian Anderson, that's a very different show. Uh, Parker Posey is doing her best here, but almost all of her dialogue is about, I'm depressed because cop stuff. And the 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 case I'm on is, oh, what a case. She doesn't have a lot of character. <clears throat> no. Like Parker Posey, and poor Parker Posey isn't given a lot of like ins no. to to sort of be, be her gregarious self. She's a very yeah. funny actress. Yeah, there's like little. She, she can be funny, and Adam Goldberg is very funny he too. Is. He, he gets and to they... be the wisecracking cop. Mm-hmm. It's it's a cliche. He does it well. Yeah. Um. There's a couple of moments where it seems like because like you find out things about Parker Posey like um, she's got a little autistic. Uh, she got a little brother who's autistic, uh, and she's caring for him, and that you know there's a certain uh. uh you know, that's not easy to do. Mm. Uh, that tells you a little bit more about her character, but it kind of just sort of cements that her life is kind of difficult. We don't really see her like have fun with her brother or anything like that. There's no like joy in her life. There's only one moment that hints that her character has some kind of uh, interiority that's more interesting than we see. And there's a bit where Michael Madsen is saying like, yeah, I know you think this is the same serial killer, but something tells me one of these days we're just going to uh, a, a goth is going to just walk into the, the station with like a bloody heart in his hand and goes, eh, I went too far. Hmm. And she says, I was a goth in high school and that offends me. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, where's that character? Who's the person who was a goth in high school? You had a personality in high school. You had a strong or, or, personality. Or at least <clears throat> fashion sense. Yeah. Like you had, you were, you were eager to express yourself mm. in some way. That's what I mean more than anything else. Uh, and here, 
yeah, I, I, she's she's over. You know, some people are some people are miscast. She's overcast. <laughs> like she's she's too good for the material, uh, and she's bringing what she can. And you know, if this had gone on, hopefully they would have written for her mm-hmm. as opposed to here's the pilot. Parker Posey's going to play it, and after that, it's like no, no, we've got Parker Posey. This character needs to change a little bit and <laughs> become yeah. more Parker Posey-ish to maximize the potential. But anyway, she's she's investigating the killer. She's investigating the victim. Uh, the Frankenstein monster gets involved. Uh, kind of. Like, kind he, of. He kind of t- takes a back seat. There, you want to see a lot of the monster, right? Mm-hmm. You want... In fact, I, I would say at the end of the first act, that's when the cop and the monster should meet and they should be together for the rest of the show. Yeah. Like, you should, like... And you can even engineer that. Like, mm. she arrests him thinking he's the, he's the killer and then... You know, they have to interrogate him, whatever like that. And these are cliches, but they're cliches for a reason. They convey the narrative. Uh, I had a teacher in a college, a screening professor, and he had a he had something that really stuck in my mind about how we deal with cliches or uh, mm. tropes. You know, not, not ex- necessarily the same thing, but very similar. Storytelling devices that have been yeah, done to death. Bumping the mic there. Sorry, sorry about that. that. Um, but yeah, there are certain storytelling devices that are done to death. You've seen them a million times. The reason why... He, my professor argued that people keep coming back to that is because it's an efficient means of telling a story. Come up with a better way to sell that plot point, then you can complain about it. <laughs> like, you know, that's the trick. You have to come up with something better. If you can't, then you really can't be too mad when people fall back on it mm-hmm. because it's efficient and, and, and it works. You know, you might roll your eyes because you've seen it a million times, but... You, you don't see it fail very often. The only reason you're rolling your eyes is because of familiarity. So, here they try to do something different where it's like she, the Frankenstein monster is in the guy's apartment and she's like, oh, you must be the guy because you're in the apartment. I pulled my gun on you and I say freeze because cop stuff. And Vincent Perez is like, oh yeah, no, I'm, that's not going to work on me. I'm super immortal and stuff. I'm actually mm-hmm. the Frankenstein monster. Let me, let me show you. And he pulls like a cord out of the like a live electrical wire, mm-hmm. and shocks himself, and shocks himself, and he like kind of glows. It looks kind of cool. Like and a, Parker Posey's yeah, like light uh, comes from under his scars. Yeah, or... and Parker Posey like turns her head away, and out of like ah gross. And when she turns back, he's gone, and she's like, huh. <laughs> and she goes to see like a psychologist, like a cop psychologist, and says, "Hey, I just saw a guy electrocute himself and says the Frankenstein monster." Um, that's weird, right? And the psychologist is like, yeah, that's weird. Um, he's probably a weird guy who wanted you to think that. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. He's probably a weird guy. Yeah. It's a clinical term. <laughs> there was a plot point in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, um, kudos to the writers. They, they realized that um, after a while, uh, if monsters keep attacking this high school... They have you to explain how, why there's always monsters at the high school. Well, they, they do that very quickly, and that's a, that's a fun right. plot point where the idea is that... There's uh, something su- called a hell mouth yeah, where just, monsters are just sort of drawn to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's simple, it's clean, it works, it's fine, it's an excuse for anything to happen. But the other thing they said is um, people, uh, uh, whenever they encounter the supernatural, if, they don't, if they're not like forced to deal with it constantly their rational brains kick in uh-huh. and after they'll like see vampires like turn into monsters and shit and eat people in the moment vampires mm. a day later 
rationalized. Oh, all those guys were on PCP. Mm-hmm. And that's how you manage to keep like everyone at kind of a normal high school status quo, okay. even after monsters attack every single week. <laughs> um, so you, you, you could have that. And that's right. kind of what's happening with Parker Posey. She's trying to rationalize yeah. it. The, the murders continue. Yeah. Uh, the victims are other Frankenstein monsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Someone, it, someone's it, attacking other yeah. creatures. And it turns out, um, and this is very 90s angst, it turns out these Frankenstein monsters mm. are in a weird kind of murder pact, I think. It, it's not sort of, sort of where um, they can't die. Yeah. They've been living a long time. They have like these unbreakable bodies yeah and they've made promises to one another to essentially like hire assassins for themselves i don't that, that I, was, think, I think it's a bit of an extrapolation of what's happening but basically basically all of these creatures are in this weird like kind of knew, existential crisis yeah they knew each other and yeah. from what i understand the the victim had asked the murderer to murder them at least that one guy Okay. I don't know if it's every single one. The idea is that uh, then the and the killer even calls Dr. Frankenstein to say, "Yeah, you you turned me into something that like can't die and now I'm becoming something new." And he, Dr. Frankenstein is like, "Oh, well that's weird. You want to come in and talk about that?" "No, I just want to talk to you on the phone about it vaguely once." <laughs> Click. And um by the way, if that voice sounds a lot like Michael Madsen, guess what? <laughs> I was like, oh, so it's Michael Madsen, right? Because the killer sounds just like Michael Madsen. He's got this very specific kind of gravelly voice. There's a scene of the killer in a bathtub. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know why he's bathing in, like, sewer water. Yeah. Uh, but that's just the look they're going for. But yeah, yeah. He's playing a little rubber duck. And I guess if he like can't die, it doesn't matter if the water you use is clean. Not going to get infected, I, I suppose. Guess not. I don't know. I don't know how that works. It's kind of. Think, well, you think people would notice you smell, but I, you know. I, I want to smell like dishwater. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. Uh, but yeah, so like these creatures, they can't die. A lot of them want to die, and they are in this weird state where, like, we don't. We were created by man. Mm-hmm. Man is flawed. We want to like search for deeper meaning in things, but. There's nothing, and so morality doesn't really apply to us, and fuck it, mm. is basically where they're at. And that's kind of interesting, actually. I think there's yeah. there's a lot to explore there, where if you are created of an evil man, mm-hmm. what are you? Uh, and that's something that, you know, people deal with that in reality. People yeah. who have parents who have done terrible things, you know, it's like, that's weird, right? You're like, what do you do? Um, so there's, like, some potential real drama there. Uh, but yeah, it turns out very quickly we realize Michael Madsen is the actual killer, uh, and he at, at one point it's just like which is a stupid twist that it's the other cop. I, yeah, it makes no sense. You know, no. It just sort of eh. it doesn't work. It's his partner isn't in on it, uh, so he's like surprised, uh, and it, it all comes to a head when he decides after killing only other Frankenstein monsters to just kidnap his neighbor. Mm. Who's just coming home from a party or something, and like invites her over for tea, oh, and then he's and then she like the whole, ties her up, t- and, ties her to a toilet, and beats yeah. her up. It's just terrible, and, and it doesn't really track at that point. Mm. There's a side plot where it turns out that like Doctor Frankenstein has made also a priest, like some like a member of the clergy, who he uses to like track down other Frankenstein monsters when he needs to, and they have like a like a long conversation between Michael Madsen and this priest. Uh, over like the morality of what they're doing, where you can kind of see the potential here, um, but yeah, he kidnaps this rando, like has nothing to do with the plot, 
Um, and then eventually Parker Posey teams up with the Frankenstein monster. They fight the guy. It goes on a while. Finally, he like falls off a roof. And when we see that this has, he's like been impaled on some things, and I guess uh-huh. that finally did the trick and killed him. But Michael Madsen was pregnant. That's right. He's got a little critter inside of him. Yeah, we saw earlier when he was talking to the priest, he like lifted his shirt and, and there's like, like something pushes like, out through his abdomen. Yeah. And then uh, there's like a gaping cavity in his stomach. Like after Michael Madsen died falling off this building, whatever was inside him crawled out. Yeah. Meat. Neat. Didn't see yeah. that one coming. That's a different thing. He did something new there. We don't see what the critter is. But, no, uh, no, you don't. Um, but the potential. There's an interesting. Hmm. That's that's a weird X factor wandering around out there. Um, and it all culminates with uh, the Frankenstein monster uh, coming to Parker Posey, uh, and he's just like, "I would like to pursue this Helios guy." Uh, uh, I guess within the confines of the law. Like, he's a famous businessman. If you're just a Frankenstein monster and want to kill him, you can. Mm. I don't know why you need Parker Posey, but he's like, you know, you want, you you should help me, but I know it's a difficult decision. We will leave it to chance, and I will flip a coin, and Parker Posey just, don't look at the coin. I'm in. And I'm like, did you set up the coin thing earlier and I missed it? Because you make a huge it, moment out of that, and it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. There's yeah. actually not even a lot of talk about sort of fate or the power of chance or no, anything like that. It doesn't really connect to anything. Yeah. It's very, very strange. So they would team up, and they would they would fight some more, uh, some more I, monsters. And I things. think the idea was like she would have as a cop the inside yeah. information on. Uh, crimes that are happening throughout the city that are related to Doctor Helios. Yeah, and like, surely do- the Frankenstein yeah. monster doesn't need to find Doctor Helios. Surely yeah. he can find this guy because they're yeah. all in New Orleans. Right. He knows he's here at the very least. Yeah. And the and then the uh, the episode ends after this sort of okay. Here's the premise of the show: we're going to team up, we're going to solve crimes mm-hmm. with Doctor Helios putting his bride through that weird sort of paint painterly. Well, resurrection he, process that yeah, you t- mentioned earlier. She asked him basically to end her existence because it's unhappy and mm. she can't. And he's like, okay, fine. So he kills her and then he just makes another one mm. with a slightly different vibe. Same actress, too. Same actress, yeah. yeah. Which, um, again, that, that's something kind of interesting. Like, mm. you can see that being... I like that she, yeah. she emerged from the, like, the, the vat of lotion or whatever it is mm-hmm. wearing headphones. But that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Feeding it like I said, it seemed like, seemed like a Bjork video. Like, mm-hmm. like, me. Um, there's a lot of potential in the in like some of the extrapolations of Frankenstein here, mm-hmm. in terms of the complex morality of not just being one Frankenstein monster. What if you're like a secret society mm-hmm. where you have other people to lean on and share your thoughts and ideas with other people who feel as alien as you do? That's interesting. And, um, and the different Frankensteins would have different personalities. Mm-hmm. And maybe even, uh, you know, their bodies have been, like, designed to do different things. So mm-hmm. one person might just be a massive muscle and could break through a wall. Or someone else might be, like, really like extra, extra uh, mobile and could, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Climb up a wall or yeah, something. Yeah, climb up a wall or gonna crawl say, spaces like, or something. It's you know? like, you, th- this person has 12 fingers and is a really yeah. good pianist. and But they have to keep it secret, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's potential uh, there. 
Yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, I wish that it had sort of leaned into the body horror a little bit more. Like, yeah. there's plenty of, you know, gory scenes of looking at gaping wounds and stuff. Surprising amount of, like, sex and gore mm-hmm. for a TV show. Uh, this uh, aired, uh, the, the pilot ended up airing on USA, which is basic cable. Yeah, so uh, and in, it, in the it, 2000s, it you could get away with more than you used yeah, to. I guess like, so. But it's, it's still pretty hard. <clears throat> That's the part that actually feels kind of hardcore. It's a lot more violent than you might expect. Mm. And there's more sex than you might expect. Yeah, but if, if they're going to make this show all about sort of weird organs and you know genetically enhanced people, yeah. lean into that a little bit more. Actually, you know, let us see more of, of the bodies rather than just Vincent Perez with a scar across his chest. Yeah. Um, Let's also make a monster. Yeah, just give make him, him a monster. But yeah, if you're not going to have him give walk him around... Give him a big square head. I don't care. Uh, yeah, fuck it. Seems like such a waste. You want you're gonna do a Frankenstein series, and you're imagining like the makeup artist or whoever is the production design. Mm. Um, we get to make our own Frankenstein monster. Mm. Well, fuck it, let's do it. What a what a treat! Remember when we saw Mockingbird Lane, the yeah. the, the monsters update, and With Herman a... Monster was played by Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, it was who's weird. just like a handsome dude. Yeah. And they just made him look like Jerry O'Connell. Like, he's supposed to be a Frankenstein. Yeah. And he has, like, artificial parts and he's, like, been stitched together, but was, you barely see it. It was actually a pretty good pilot. But it was an like, okay pilot. Yeah, but, like, but, that was a weird kind of wasted opportunity. Mm. You know? And, and I feel that way here. And I'm thinking, there really aren't that many, like, after James Whale, and that wasn't even the first Frankenstein on film, but after James Whale's uh, 1930s Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the sequels, mm. Sort of uh, uh, solidified the image we have of the Frankenstein monster as this incredibly tall, hulking, mm. flat-topped, green-skinned um, mm. uh, creature. Um, there, there really hasn't been another version of Frankenstein that has clicked. There have been plenty of other versions. Oh, yeah. But there's there's never been one where everyone's just like, that's also a great Frankenstein. Like, mm. a truly great Frankenstein. Like, um, the Robert De Niro version wonderful performance from Robert De Niro in, <clears throat> yeah. in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I, you like that movie a lot more than I do, but I think he's oh, yeah. incredible in it. He's really great. Yeah. Like, I I do like that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And the design on the monster, though, was he did look like a patchwork being. Like, yeah. big chunks of his face looked like they were kind of sewn together yeah. from different places. And I feel like they, they could have made that a little bit more arch to try to make him look a little bit more, like, iconic. Yeah. So that it would at least compete in our heads with the mm-hmm. original Frankenstein monster from the James Whale movies. But um, that's a pretty good one. Mm. I- I'm rather fond of the one from Van Helsing, which is like this opera singer version <laughs> where he's got like el- electrodes that actually like have like... He's got like a glowing... Um, yeah. If you remember those things you used to get at like Spencer Gifts with yeah. the, the electric uh, jaggediness on it. And, and you, you put your, your finger on it and all of a sudden there's like a little electron. Yeah, thing. he's got one of those yeah. in his chest. Yeah. I, that one's fun. Uh-huh. That's a fun design. They, they At the very least, they went for something. Mm. In that one. Um, yeah, not so much here. He's just no. a guy. He's just a guy who doesn't look very good. But he does. All of he the, looks amazing. All of the energy went into like production design and yeah. shooting and editing. Yeah. Not, not nearly enough went into the script. Uh, because the, the characters are not terribly interesting. The actors are trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you cast someone like Parker Posey, you want to give her a more interesting character than that. Yeah. She's capable of so much more. Adam Goldberg does the job. Uh, he's also capable of a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and you're not doing anything to... I guess the one creepy thing about the Dr. Frankenstein character, Dr. Helios... Yeah. Uh, is that his spine is exposed. Yeah, that was gross. 
Like we we see him like after a love scene, like yeah. he kind of turns around and uh, his bride is like playing with his exposed vertebra, and that's kind of uh, kind of kind of creepy looking. Yeah, yeah, that was gross. Make him on him. Yeah, that was gross. Um, so they they made this pilot. It it obviously didn't go anywhere. They aired it, but that was that. Um, Dean Kuntz had uh, helped conceive of this bad boy, so he had kind of the rights to the idea. And he ended up writing his own Frankenstein and co-writing some of them. Uh, Frankenstein books in this mythology, which apparently follow the, at least the basic setup of this uh-huh. pilot uh, quite a lot. Um, and you can you can read those books, obviously. I, I didn't have time to read them all, but I did look them up. And uh, you can learn more about the backstory of Dr. Helios, what he was doing in World War II. Guess what? Um, and also you learn things like, oh, the Frankenstein monster has learned how to teleport. What? <laughs> what? Because <laughs> that's what you do with extra organs. What? Um, also, apparently, the creature that came out of Michael Madsen's uh, stomach uh-huh. uh, was like a little, like, gnomey creature thing that called itself Jocko. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, like, teamed up with the Bride of Frankenstein and became its de facto mom. And apparently, like, at the end of the series, I don't know if anyone cares about this being spelled or not, but apparently at the end of the series, he got his own TV show. Yay! <laughs> okay. So That's here's, fun! Here's your premise. Make that show. Right? Jocko. see that shit. This weird, like... Frankenstein homunculus lives yeah. out in the world and has his own show. Make it about him. Apparently there was a another Frankenstein-type monster called Werner uh, who uh, was an experiment with uh, grafting uh, human DNA with cockroach and feline DNA. <laughs> so he was like super-duper strong, but apparently like kept producing mucus. Like he, like he would go through like an entire box of tissues in an hour just because he couldn't stop producing mucus, <laughs> which is see, that's fun. Yeah, we can all have a good time. I, with I don't that. know how you film that, but that's a fun idea. Well, I just, just constantly just blowing his nose, isn't yeah, he? I guess so. It's kind of a continuity nightmare, but whatever, it could be fun. Um, I don't know. There's like four, it's like five or six books in this whole series. Do the books sound more fun than they what do. we watched? They do. The 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 movie is, they're, they're is not going, annoyingly joyless. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're not. We and we make this complaint a lot, where no. some uh, some TV showrunners come up with like a really fascinating, completely out there concept. We just talked about this with Anonymous Rex. Yeah, where it, it that's about detective dinosaurs, for goodness' sake. Yeah, and dinosaurs that's... kept evolving. They wear disguises to hide among humans. They have all these weird foibles. They're that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's a whimsical idea. Put some comedy into that. Yeah, don't sell it as like a straight cop drama about dinosaurs in disguise. Okay, now we have another cop drama. It's yeah. about a cop played by Parker Posey. Great, I love that. Parker yeah. Posey as a cop. Parker Posey is a Frankenstein, Frankenstein monster. monster that's and they your plot. Up. Great, I'm Th- in. That's fun. <laughs> you have to push me away from that. Yeah. And, like, you, and you did it. You I pushed me away from that. And I want to make it clear that we're not talking about like how like we demand that all of these shows have a, the same tone yeah. or the same tonality or the same mood or the same or, or, or anything really. Yeah, and you can have a, a, a ridiculous premise yeah. and sell it as a straight drama. And you can have a ridiculous premise and sell it as super duper dark. The thing is that you have to you have to engage the audience with your premise. And yeah. when you're trying to hide your premise behind 
generic grit, uh, you're not actually selling us on what your thing is because we can get generic grit anywhere. Yeah. You, what you have... Apply that to any genre. Any yeah. any cop genre will look the same as that. What you have that other cop shows don't have is Parker Posey teaming up with the Frankenstein monster to fight other Frankenstein monsters. Mm-hmm. You can try to make that scary if you want, but give us the joy of discovery at least. Make it seem like you're excited to show us the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, when you successfully sell us on the possibilities, that's a great pilot. Yeah. That's what a pilot is designed to do. Sell you on the possibilities. I know what other episodes of the show are going to look like. They're going to look like this. They're going to look like this. Uh, every once in a while, it's going to be like a supernatural, like another Frankenstein monster, but sometimes it's not. And mm-hmm. the Frankenstein monster will just help Parker Posey stop a random kidnapper or something like that that isn't mm-hmm. actually connected to anything because we have to fill time like, this isn't going to be, like, this, an 8-episode eight, eight yeah, episode series. It's going to be a 20-episode series. The, the show is going yeah. to be aggressively joyless. Yeah. Uh, and why am I going to tune in week after week to watch a joyless, dour, gritty, depressing cop drama yeah. about the Frankenstein monster? Like, wh- yeah. wh- what, what kind of entertainment am I supposed to be getting? I, I really that? don't see it, honestly. Yeah. Um, on that note, mm-hmm. Whitney. Yes. Was uh, Martin Scorsese no. and Dean Koontz's Frankenstein... <laughs> Cancelled too soon. Uh, would it be fair to call this the worst thing Scorsese has his name attached to? That is an excellent question. Yeah. Now I'm going to look that up because sure. this is Martin Scorsese. You know he 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 has only he, to an it's extent. Not, it's not all gold. Yeah. Well, I mean his name is on it. His name is on it. His name is technically on it. He didn't do I, nothing. I, he, he didn't he, do nothing. I, I'm sure he did very little, <laughs> but he didn't do nothing. Yeah. Uh, and he, he also, you know, has produced some things of dodgy quality. It's not, you know, not mm-hmm. bangers every time. I'm going to look at just his, like, producing career. Like, just as an ex- I think we can all agree, or, agree that his directing career is pretty much unilaterally better than this. Yeah. So let's, let's, like, I'm going to look he, at his he, producing he, career see mo- if I can find mo- any weird Most of stuff. his films are good. They're not all great, but most of his films are pretty great. I'm going to see if, like, is there anything here that, like, kind of stands out as, like, hmm? Um, bum, 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 bum. no, pretty good, pretty good. Uncut gems. All right. Um, this the souvenir. That's good. Ah, uh, oh, oh, you found a stinger. The snowman. That was just Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> he produced the snowman. Produced the snowman. <laughs> Please, Mister Police, I gave you all the clues. That is technically worse than this movie. Okay, I, d- I didn't see oh, the snowman. I oh, just heard the stories. It's really bad. All right. I, I hear the source material is amazing, and the production for the film was fucked. And, and uh, was but, it, what, what, didn't, didn't the cop have, it was like Dick Jacker or something like Harry really Hole. Harry Hole, oh my god. Yeah, that's the that's the name of the character in the in the books, too. Um, I and they, ne- really, they never really... comment on it, <laughs> which I think is it, the funniest thing of all. I know it sounded really pornographic. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, see if there's any other, like noteworthy stinkers and his executive producing filmography, but honestly, it's pretty damn good. Uh, all right. Like, so the couple of things I've never heard of, but I, I nothing be... here that's, like, absolutely terrible except for the snowman. Uh, Scorsese is known for not just making good movies, but uh, he also has very good taste in movies. He likes to yeah. sort of spread the word on great films that he discovers from all around the world. He likes to find new voices and share, you know, sort of rising uh, talent throughout the film industry. Yeah. I would love to know... Like what? What's the sucky thing he loves? Yeah. Like what's, what's the, the, it's like? And, and I don't mean guilty pleasure. I'm sure he okay. genuinely enjoys it. But like, what's the thing where it's just like? I really love Mambo Number Five. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw this cartoon once. It's called Lunatics Unleashed. I really like that. Like, there's just got to be like one utter one piece of shit that he really loves. Corporate art that he's just like super into for some reason. Mm. Uh, he was in Shark Tale. That's true. He was Remember in that? Shark Tale. He like he acted in that one. He was he played himself in an episode of Entourage. Although I don't know if that was just a little cameo or not. Yeah. Yeah. Although that was like around the time that like Mark Wahlberg was in. Mm. Mark Wahlberg was the only Oscar-nominated performance in The Departed. The Departed, that's right. Weird. There's so many good performances in that movie. Uh, Matt Damon's really good in that movie. Matt Damon's really good in that movie. Vera Farmiga's really good in that movie. Alec Baldwin's really good in that movie. Mm. Mark Wahlberg's the only one? What? And he's fine, too. Yeah. Jack Nicholson? No? Just Mm. no? Okay, fine. I really like The Departed at the time. I think it has... hasn't stayed with me as much as it might have. It's an excellently crafted film. It mm. really, really is. It is a very different remake of a very great film, Infernal Affairs. Mm. I've uh, seen that one too. Yeah, they're 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 very different films. They have the same plot, but they play out very, very differently. I think it's a great example of a remake that it justifies its own existence. Mm. That's the one that won Best Picture. <laughs> That's the one. When you look back, it'd be like, really. Well, he'd make, like, much better films after that. It's yeah. like, we're finally going to give it to him in the mid-2000s. No, wait. Wait till, like, Wolf of Wall Street or something? Yeah. like Wait yeah. until Silence? Like, these really excellent movies where I he's mean, getting, like, really it wasn't, thoughtful. It wasn't a great year at the Academy then. No. I'll grant you that. What was so, that, like, 2006? Oh, was, yeah, around there. Oh, yeah, it was pretty bad. I'm, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... I'm just gonna look it up. I think what was else like Babel, like all these other uh, garbage movies were up Babel. for um, for Best Picture. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up. 2006 was per, uh, just a pretty bad film. Yeah, year for films in general. Yeah. Now hold on. Let's let's just let's just waste time doing this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Just, I think we've said our piece the... about about Frankenstein, but we we gotta get into 2006. Okay. 2006 was a bad year for movies. Okay. Let's see here. Academy Award for Best Picture. Bada bing. Here we go. I'm very excited about this. I, I, I love See, it. Uh, <laughs> we had Hostel in 2006. Okay, well, that's uh, actually not a bad movie. High but... School Music, Underworld Evolution. Admittedly, that's... No, wait, that's the second one, isn't it? Yeah. No, that one sucks. Never mind. Um, what, the the remake of One A Stranger Calls. Oh, that movie sucks. Oh, Final Destination 3 is kind of fun. It's fun. The remake of Pink Panther, better than it gets credit for, but you know, not, not a great call movie, it a classic but yeah, or anything. it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Medea started to hit, hit, okay. hit her stride right, that That's one. culturally important. You know, there you go. Oh. Okay, here, here were the five Best Picture nominees from the year The Departed won. One was Babel. All right. Babel is... Is gar- it's overwrought. Bad. It's bad. I mean, I, it's bad. I think the kindest thing you can say is that it's overwrought. Yeah. Um, Letters from Iwo Jima, which is uh, pretty good movie. It's, it's pretty all good right. Movie. It's yeah. pretty good movie. It does it does certain things well? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. I like Little Miss Sunshine, which was a huge well, just, hit at the time, but I, feels like a bit of a trifle now. You know. I, I, you know, I, I legitimately like Little Miss Sunshine. I, I'm not saying it's a bad I'll, movie. I'll I'm just saying it's one. it. You know, doesn't necessarily have a lot of heft. Yeah. Uh, and then the last Best Picture uh, uh, nominee, and it's one of those ones where it made sense at the time, but now you're like, really, Best Picture? Uh, the Queen. Which oh. got Helen Mirren her Oscar, which is a good movie. Hmm. I don't know if it's, like, Best Picture good, but it's, you know, yeah. it's, more, it's more of a great delivery system for performances than it is a great Indeed. movie in itself. Here are the top grossing films from 2006, Let's the most it. popular ones. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, oh, the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cars, oh. often called one of the, the lesser Pixar movies. Yeah. Uh, X-Men The Last Stand, the third of the X-Men pictures. Oh, yeah. The Da Vinci Code. Oh, 
Superman Returns. So, yeah, these are just like shit. But but a good Parker Posey performance. That's right. There you go. Best thing in the movie. Um, Ice Age, The Meltdown. I didn't see Happy Feet. Happy Feet sucks. Does it? I I know some people love that movie. That that movie won George Miller an Oscar for Best Animated Feature. I am not a fan. I think it's easily his worst film. Um, another animated film, Over the Hedge, based on the newspaper strip, <laughs> which is yeah. Ish, uh, yeah. Uh, the James Bond film, Casino Royale. I know yeah. a lot of people call that the best James Bond movie, so... Uh, I, I love that movie. Fine, I love but, that movie. And uh, Talladega Nights. A lot of people the, love that movie. The Will Ferrell it's comedy. I'm not a huge fan, but it's, it's funny. That's that's not a bad film. Uh, yeah. A couple of the films, uh, The Devil Wears Prada came out that year. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Notes on a Scandal is quite excellent. I quite like that. Uh, one of Ryan Gosling's best performances, Half Nelson. All right, Scary Movie Four. The Scary Sa- Movie Santa Four. Santa Claus Three. There you go. Finally, something good. We I'm like the Chronic. Uh, Dream Girls came out. There you go. Uh, Borat came out. Uh, Children of Men. Uh, very popular film. Not not a fan of Children of Men. I, I like it. I think it's a little overhyped. But oh, Pan's yeah. Labyrinth came out that year. Okay, I like that. Why the fuck was that not nominated for Best Picture? What the hell is the matter with you, Academy? <laughs> Jesus. I think that one and The Lives of Others were uh, were up for Academy Awards in the uh, yeah. international category. Yeah, The Lives and of Lives Others, Others won Best won. International Film. Which is funny, like, which oh, is funny because it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie, but every, it's also watch, like, Watch The Lives really? of Others. It's actually really good. Um, yeah. It, uh, I have no problem with that one winning an Academy it's Award. It's fine. It's just Pan's Labyrinth was like so popular. Yes. World Trade Center. Oh, the first step up. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's culturally important. That's uh, and I'm not joking. You know that. Flushed away, I do. Shaggy dog. The yeah. It's uh, just blood old. diamond. None of these are setting my heart on fire. There aren't like a lot of films in here that I like really legitimately just love. There's a few really really good ones, but yeah, I I agree. Oh, the Prestige came out that year. Again, that's a good movie. Yeah, it's all right. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette came out that year. I like Marie Antoinette, okay. That's a really good film. Click. I feel like these these are a click notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of like really interesting filmmakers doing not their best work yeah. uh, this year. Yeah, that's that's largely fair to say. They'll again to them exceptions. Mm. Um anyway, the the long and short of it is um not Martin Scorsese's worst project. The snowman does exist, but it's close. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I agree. This was, uh, Frankenstein was not canceled too soon. I think it had its shot, mm. uh, and it shot itself, it shot its shot in the foot. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, that's uh, good. Yeah. also, ju- don't just call it Frankenstein. Yeah, what are you doing? That, that's too many, you have to give it a spin. Yeah. Frankenstein, NYPD. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's yeah, NOPD. NOPD, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. You could say New York, why not? Well, you could, that's cliche, though. I mean, yeah, I guess on. so. Um, I mean, it, it's all cliche, I suppose, but like you want to try to avoid some of them, mm, right? <laughs> um, or yeah, call, call it like Frankenstein's Brood, you know, because mm. it's about all, all like all the monsters. Yeah, well, there was that one. Oh, there was that one movie, The Army of Frankenstein. I didn't oh, see yeah. that, but there you go. Um, there's a comic book out there. I never read it. It was called The Frankenstein Mobster. All right. Frankenstein like, became like like a hitman or something. Mm. I'm like, nice. See, see these these things that we're just sort of like pulling out of our ass are yeah. way more interesting yeah. than what we got. It's a bummer. Um, but anyway, that is it for Cancel Too Soon. That is it for Scary Tober. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Cancel Too Soon is going back on hiatus. However, not for long. 
we will come back with a special episode once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we figure out like what the future of the show uh, properly uh, really is. Because to do it for real and to do like a whole season a week... We, we just can't. We, we don't have the time. We don't have the time We're, the way we used to. I'm, I'm, but I'm a middle-aged do... man with a 9-to-5 job and a family. I can't, I can't watch whole seasons no. of TV, But we, we will keep it alive. We, we will bring it back from time to time. We do have an idea for another one to come up sooner than you might think. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just means a lot to us that a lot of people, you know, said they really enjoyed the comeback. Thank you so much. Um, big shout-out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash... Critically acclaimed network, in addition to getting this episode and all of our future episodes ad-free, uh, you also get a lot of uh, exclusive shows, and we hope you've been enjoying those. Um, and, um, yeah, we just we just think you need. So, if you want to join us, if you want to get uh, ad-free shows, you want to get early episodes of Thank Godzilla, it's Friday, you want to get a ton of bonus podcasts, uh, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at critic acclaim. Uh, I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you would like to uh, discuss anything we discussed in this episode, do you know stuff that we don't know about this subject? We would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send us a letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and we might read your letter in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. So uh, until the return of Cancelled Too Soon, I would like to say thank you very, very much for watching. That is a wrap. But we'll see you next season. <laughs>